I'm fascinated by this. Hello. It started off over there and now got closer and closer. Oh, grabbing some food. Wow, look at those colours. That orange is beautiful. It's rubbing. <laughs> I'm sitting in a cemetery near my producer's house and it's really beautiful here. It's a place that people come to reflect, to mourn, but also this place is so nature rich. Like abundantly plants are growing here and some of them edible. There's a lot of trees and it's so green in here. I guess this is a beautiful place where birds love to come to. There's so much bird song here. Birds come to nest, feel safe, get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. And for me, thinking about my safety is important too because it does feel quite remote being submerged in nature here. So it's important that I kind of inform people where I am and where I'm going as it enables that kind of safety net. I understand why people would feel unsafe or vulnerable whilst bird watching because of course you're looking through your binoculars most of the time and especially if you're alone, you're not necessarily then aware of your surroundings as much because you're focusing through the binoculars of what's happening in the sky rather than your environment around you. People from behind, from the side, wherever, can disappear in an instant because you're not focused. I suppose you are in a vulnerable state. Escocio, speaking to you from my hometown, London, England. And this is Get Burden, supported by Canada Water. On Get Burden, we always try to give tips and advice on how to get into birds, how to feed them, look after them, and keep them protected. But this episode is a bit different. There have been quite a few challenges I have experienced as a bird watcher and as a woman. That is because we'll be talking about the safety risk and fears faced by female solo bird watchers. You know, fear is such a powerful emotion, isn't it? You feel it in your bones, you feel it in your blood. So, stick around while we shed light on this important topic. And just a warning, please be aware that the discussion will touch upon traumatic personal experiences, harassment and potential dangers. Take care of yourself and anybody you are listening to this podcast with. If you need to skip this episode, that's okay. <gasps> As we speak right now, there's a house sparrow feeding baby house sparrows outside. Oh. Birds are something that are so alien but so familiar at the same time. They don't really behave like mammals do in a way that we can relate to. So if you just sit and watch their behaviour when they're nesting and breeding and doing all sorts of like sexy dances for each other and... I think they're like weirdos. That's the voice of Lucy Lapwin. I have been following Lucy on socials for a long time. 
She posts interesting pictures and videos of plants and wildlife, some of which we often don't get a closer look at. You know, I don't really count birds on lists. I don't really twitch or anything like that. I just really like bird watching and birds because, I don't know, there's just always some entertainment there. What about you? What do you think? Me? So with bird watching, I'm quite a beginner. I'm still learning like all these little jargon kind of things in the bird watching realm, but I'm fascinated by the way that they are. I noticed even a bird nesting regularly outside my w- window in a flat that I live in. So Amazing. And I don't think you need to know what everything is and what everything's called and what all the bird song is. You can just appreciate it in your own way, can't you? And you don't have to live by other people's rules, which is what bird watching often tries to do to you. Lucy is a self-confessed nature nerd. She's an ambassador for the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds and the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust. Given her experiences while solo burden, she has some really important things to say about keeping safe. Yeah, so um, I take a lot of pleasure from being outside on my own in nature, whether that's bird watching or just going for a walk or, you know, looking for insects and things like that. I don't know, I find it just a really peaceful thing and something that really chills me out. I used to go out all the time, well I still do, but I went out all the time on my own and on a walk one day I was walking down by a river so there was loads of various watery birds things like goosanders and I did see a kingfisher that day and I was watching a little egret type of white heron with yellow feet it took off from the mud and was flying along so I was kind of following it in my binoculars and as it flew past like my vision of sight my binoculars focused into the distance and behind this egret there was a man there that was exposing himself to me and he was filming me whilst he was doing it and it just kind of really sent me into this state of shock and just disgust and outrage and I've encountered weirdos before and I'm sure a lot of of women have when they've been out on their own but it was just I think the added element of him filming me added that extra insecurity because it was suddenly something that I was identifiable by and yeah it was just not a pleasant thing at all so it really shook me up and affected how I kind of bird watched from there on really Hmm. it was quite unnerving and unsettling I can only imagine I would, wouldn't have liked to experience that myself as well. Would you say that affected your relationship with burden? Yeah, definitely did for the short term and it still does. But I think a lot of women can relate to the kind of little voice in the back of your head. Whenever you're out on your own, you have. It's just all of the, the conscious and subconscious things that you do to make yourself safe. So not walking on your own after dark or if you do don't walk with headphones in and always walk somewhere lit and maybe even holding the keys between the knuckles and all of these things that we've we've learned to do and you know I would do that at night but this really affected how I behaved during the day you know if I was bird watching I'd, I'd be bird watching with my back to something just so nobody could sneak up in my blind spot you know and I even thought about how I could use my binoculars as a weapon which just seems ridiculous that we have to do that but I mean this was the same year as the really horrible case with Sarah Everard and just these horrible things that were in our psyche of normal young women getting attacked in the most horrible way and losing their lives in the hands of somebody with a depraved sexual interest and we've learned that quite a lot of these instances start with what people dismiss as minor for example flashing you know a lot of people kind of gaslit me and told me it wasn't that bad it's just some bloke getting his bits out but it escalates from that so Mm. yeah it just kind of made me feel really unsafe whenever I was encountering lone males how did you manage to get your confidence back um I suppose it's like kind of with any scary or traumatic or bad thing in your life the effect of it kind of subdues over time as you process it and it becomes more distant but I think I had that wariness and that fear before it happened 
And so I would consider that that's just still there. You know, fear is such a powerful emotion, isn't it? You feel it in your bones, you feel it in your blood. What can be done to make the outdoors more safer? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so in the instance of my particular experience, that's a whole conversation to be had about power and entitlement. And it is a sexual conversation as well, as much as people like to think it's just about violence it is also about sex Mm -hmm. and those are really uncomfortable conversations and things that we have to do as a society to call out really inappropriate sexism and sexual behavior and sexual language and banter I hate that word it starts all the way from silly little jokes and it escalates into inappropriate forceful touching and then it escalates into stuff like flashing and it there's just this whole spectrum so because it's so ingrained in us to dismiss this bad behaviour by a small number of men in society. We're so just conditioned to accept it that it allows this type of behaviour to escalate. So that's obviously a huge thing that society needs to tackle collectively. There's nothing that we can do in terms of making the outdoors safer that, that will fix that in the short term. You know, there's been conversations on nature reserves about how do we make nature reserves safer? So do we light up the car parks at night? Do we put two different doors in hides? all of these different things. And you think, well, yeah, it might help. But that's not fixing the cause of the problem. That's fixing the symptom. Mm-hmm. There's also this whole like hostility in the countryside to, you know, it's a very white, wealthy, middle-class place. So you get all sorts of misanthropic ideas about the types of people that should come into the countryside. And there's all different issues there tangled together, aren't there? How do we start doing that? It's, <laughs> it's like trying to unload all those different layers that are on this onion how do we push back against this how do we defy that fear and do it anyway i don't know it's it's a difficult one that conversation was really really interesting i often don't really like to get into political things but After speaking to Lucy, hearing that kind of perspective really made me think about some of the things that we often shy away from speaking about but are actually important. Some of the experiences we face and the societal issues and how they kind of connect with one another. And a lot of things are normalised that shouldn't be normal. I think it's very important for um, women, black women, and everyone to feel safe outdoors just because of the necessity that the outdoors brings. It helps your mental health. It helps your physical health. You get fresh oxygen and light and green spaces. All of these things contribute to the well-being of human beings. Everyone deserves that at the end of the day. So my name is Sheridan Alford. I live in Atlanta, Georgia in the United States, and I primarily do environmental education, taking people outdoors, taking people on bird walks, teaching them about nature and why we care about it and how they can care for it. Wow, we need more people like <laughs> you. That sounds like a, such an amazing job. How did you get into birding? Yeah, I so I went to school for wildlife science, and that's what my undergraduate degree is in. And that was all about the animals. I learned about trees, plants, 
and wildlife. But then I wanted to add sort of more of a human component to all of that. So I got my master's degree in parks, recreation, and tourism. So adding the human component into the outdoors. In that whole journey, I went on my first bird walk in 2018. And I was like, wow, I, I didn't know that people did this as a hobby and for fun. So I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. I can continue to do this as a hobby as well. Then it turned into a hobby, turned into a job at some point down the line. But yeah, I probably st- got started officially in 2018. 2018 must have been the year of revelation for connecting with nature because I too, that's when I went on my expedition to the Amazon. Nice. Would you be able to share like your experience as a black woman, how bird watching is? Yeah, it, there's a lot of different components that come with being black, being a woman and being a bird watcher. Um, all these three different identities coexisting together. I find that it's definitely an activity where you have to make a space for yourself. Um, It's predominantly white and most of the time male type of activity. So making sure that your presence is known, making sure if you have an idea or an opinion on something, you speak up for yourself. Um, But it's also fun. You know, I have my nails and I I like to do my hair. I like to be cute. So I'm cute and I'm bird watching all at the same time (laughs) and making sure that all of those things mesh well together while I'm outside is, is one of the things that I find joy in for sure. What is Black Birders Week? Yeah, so Black Birders Week. I've heard about it. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad you heard about it. Black Birders Week is a week full of events. Some friends and I started years ago in 2020. And so we're now in 2023. And we have, you know, new people come in all the time. And each day has a theme. It's just a time to bring awareness to Black Birders, have some community, have fun events and webinars that people can tune into talking about some things that are important, like safety. Um, It's just kind of a symposium to get everybody together um, so that they can have a sense of community within birdwatching. It's so important when when you get that opportunity to know that you're not by yourself, essentially, in things that are especially seen as niche. It makes it more fun, too, because you can text your friends and they're like, oh, I saw this cool bird today. Or there are quite a few people that I've met online they might live in Texas or in Tennessee, which are different states. And we can all fly into the same location and meet up and go bird watching somewhere. At one point, I thought there weren't very many blackbirders. I thought I was the only one in my community because I just never had met anybody else. Then now I've, I've met you all in the UK. I've met people from the next neighborhood over that I just didn't know existed. So it gives you that safe space and community to, to not feel alone. When you're solo bird watching is there any safety tips that you would give for black women when they're out bird watching especially in isolated areas there have been quite a few challenges i have experienced as a bird watcher and as a woman it can be a little bit dangerous or unsafe sometimes it looks kind of strange when you're in somebody's neighborhood or you're just like walking down the street with binoculars people ask you questions so i try and make sure that i have maybe a shirt with a bird on it or something to kind of signify without needing a conversation that this is what I'm doing. If there are trails and things, making sure that you can easily mark where you've been um, and you have some survival tactics in hand, like a compass and things, just to make sure that you are well-oriented for whatever may happen. Um, If you're going to, say, a private property or 
someone has like a big farm or something, sometimes it's possible to, you know, knock on their door and just let them know that you're going to be out there, which can go a long way as opposed to them perusing their land and you just like they run into you. That's a whole different situation. And also, I have a dog, so I take my dog with me, especially when I'm going to more rural areas or parks and things where I don't really know anybody, just because, you know, I might not see everything, even if my dog necessarily won't do anything. He's not a protection dog, but, you know, it's just a little bit more awareness and being more comfortable in these kind of rural areas. I can only do so much being visible, staying on the main roads, but I try and make sure that it's very apparent that I'm not a threat, but also that people know what I'm doing so that they don't feel the need to ask me questions. <laughs> Unless they want to know about the birds, feel feel free to ask away. Would you say there's an added danger of being a black woman compared to a white woman? I think definitely because of that lack of familiarity, people are much more likely to come up to you and ask you questions. And that high increase in interactions can lead wherever. Just 50 years ago, like even my grandma, within her lifetime, black people were not allowed to go to state parks. We weren't allowed to go to pools. Really, most green spaces, honestly, we weren't allowed to go to. And so at the time that that shifted and slowly but surely we were allowed to attend these places, the stigma still exists that black people don't like these places, which is not true. Minorities, black people, people of color, they love natural spaces just as much as everyone else. It's just there has to be this unlearning of a generational exclusion. And so taking your children or taking your cousins and nieces and nephews to these green spaces to show them that, yes, we can have fun here. We enjoy hiking. We enjoy fishing. One study that I've looked at before, it was saying um, that it's not that minorities and people of color don't like to go to these natural spaces. It's just that they use the spaces differently. And historically, science hasn't figured out how to quantify that. So our family going to the park might include a barbecue and it might include kites and playing baseball and things like that, which just looks different from going hiking or going camping. So all of these things include green spaces. All of these things are done outside. They're just different activities. It all can be encompassed and it all can happen in the same spaces. And there's no need to exclude one or the other just because they're not doing the same things. I totally agree. We all have the birthright to get outdoors and reconnect, especially with that disconnect that has happened literally in like a generation. Right, it's yeah. funny because with the countries we're coming from, essentially, originally, we're one with nature. We're not separate. But it's funny how we now say, oh, we're going to nature when we're actually, right. <laughs> we are actually nature kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. No one group should just be completely excluded from the outdoors and nature. It's our most natural habitat to be in. It's our most comfortable place that we should feel. So I think it's important for everybody to feel safe, for those green spaces to be available and accessible to them, for everyone to take advantage of them. I want to ask you, how can I get involved with Black Birders Week? Because I really <laughs> want to get involved. For sure. Um, there are the official ways to get involved, which is, you know, we have a website um, as well as our social media pages. That's how people know like when it's coming up and what the themes are. You can definitely check it out on Instagram at Black AF in STEM. 
Um, that's where all the Blackbirders Week stuff is posted. But there are unofficial ways too. Any activity where like maybe you just organize a bird walk during Blackbirders Week and use the hashtags and everything. It all started as just a group of us getting together and we were like, we need to do something. Let's do this. It wasn't some exclusionary thing. So I encourage anyone and everyone to, if you want to host an event, feel free, you know, invite all the black people in your area to come through, share it on social media and tag us and we'll repost it. Magpie again on the tree. (laughs) I really feel like that togetherness thing is important. As a community, any issue we can kind of solve, I feel like, because it takes a village. When we come together, that's really how we can change things. The outdoor space is often seen as an exclusive space, I'd say. There's always this poster kind of image of a white middle-class male on top of a mountain that he's conquered. And I don't feel like that's what should be a representation of getting outdoors and into nature or bird-watching. I feel like it's important to kind of change that narrative, I suppose, because that imagery can kind of stop people just exploring. And I feel like a lot of people miss out on the opportunity to explore themselves by not being able to explore the world around them. I think we can walk sort of over there, sorry. Because here it might be a bit muddy, it was raining this morning. So, so we're walking towards Russia Dock Woodland, which is a very great... Uh, green space and you have on the west you've got uh, Sadok Park. Lastly for this episode, Ariana Ricciotti, project director on the 53 acre regeneration project around Canada Water, near where I live. I think we can walk down here and then maybe come back. She is someone that has a direct impact on the design of some of London's outdoor spaces. I don't think it's very difficult for architecture to really make you not want to go to a space is actually quite easy. There's a lot of bad examples, I suppose, they're really not inviting. I was wondering whether safety concerns have an impact on her urban design. Safety is an interesting aspect because safety is sort of not the same for everyone. And so I think it's very important that you talk with a lot of people as you design so that you get what resonates with different people in terms of safety. And obviously we always work with a safety consultant, a security consultant as well. When you think about female safety in uh, urban parks and parks in general, I think really is trying to involve women in the process a bit more as well. And I think consultation and thinking about the user's perspective into the design process, because sometimes certain public spaces get one voice or sort of from above the designer that says this is the way. So there isn't enough effort and emphasis given on, okay, but what are other ways that we can achieve something that makes people feel safer? We've been talking a lot, obviously, about clear sight lines, lighting, and so there's this idea of making sure that there's a lot of visibility over places and so that it's almost like a deterrent to something happening. 
but also we've concentrated a lot on uh, thinking about how girls could use some of the spaces within the park for example the play space very often play space doesn't get designed for girls as much because girls play in a slightly different way from boys they like to linger in spaces to talk sometimes it's less active it's more just to enjoy a space in a more of a relaxed way at the same time as well I think safety is not necessarily just the physical safety as much as also feeling at ease in a space it's important to make sure that people feel part of the community and involved in it so there is this sense of ownership good Um, should we go back this way, just through the park? You've been listening to Get Burden, a Peanut and Karam production, presented by me, Kusio. My producers for this episode were Sandra Labadee and Jesse Lawson. A shout-out to our sponsors for this series, Canada Water, imagining a new district for London.